Welcome to the Legendarium. She's hot and she wears pants. Ha, huh, what a rebel. Um, and now she's in love with Rand because I need her to be. And you neither know. of them wear pants. <laughs> <laughs> You know, that's not a bad idea. <laughs> Welcome to the Legendary Podcast. My name is Craig Hanks, and I'm your host, and I'm here with three other guys. Ryan, Ken, Kyle, hello. I don't hey. have any insults for them because I ran out of time, and so Kyle's suggestion just now was to insult the listeners. So, we're going to continue with the podcast as normal. <laughs> <laughs> so just keep listening and uh, your your insult or your intellect will be insulted. We're going to insult you plenty. for the next hour. I was going to say you didn't have them cuz you're a dirty oakum picker. <laughs> <laughs> you know there's some weird stuff that gets said in these books. Uh, all right, today is A Crown of Swords part 1. Uh, discussion part one this is book seven of a wheel of time so i just wanted to say first of all congratulations you guys we are halfway done with the wheel of time if you, if you don't count the prequel or uh, shut up the short story shut up. or shut the big up. white book i don't want or... nope <laughs> <laughs> they're 14 books long that's all i want to hear about um I, I can't I, I feel like I've been reading this <laughs> since approximately the beginning of time, which as we all know is a wheel without end. I was thinking about that. There's no beginning to this podcast. Reading nor this, is there an end. <laughs> but this is a middle. <laughs> reading this book though, you thought, okay, this is book seven. We read we do this like every month. We've been doing this for seven months. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's uh, this is a long series. And I knew, you know, you kind of know when you start. I, I talked to Ryan. I said, hey, you know, maybe we should do Wheel of Time next. And he goes, yeah, uh, okay. And we kind of talked about it. Like, it's a bit of an investment, right? That's going to stretch all the way till next Christmas, literally. And this was back in, like, September. And, and we said, yeah, but, uh, you know, it's a popular book series. We really ought to get familiar with it and do it. And, and so... Yeah, we pulled the trigger. So you know intellectually that this is 14 books and it's an investment and it's going to be a long time. It's a good chunk of your life reading these books. But then you get seven books through and you're like, good Lord Almighty. Holy this is a lot of books. <laughs> <laughs> now, don't get me wrong. I uh, This isn't a complaint. I'm thoroughly enjoying myself. I, I don't want anybody to take from that that, uh, that we're not enjoying ourselves. Of course we are. Uh, or, well, I guess I am at least. I know Kyle is. But um, but yeah, it's a lot. This is a lot. And so I think that's the number one thing. It's got to be the number one the, thing if you will, recommend it to somebody. Yeah, you, the, will of time, the Will of Time is like the 401k of fantasy because... It's an investment. Yeah, you can't actually get to the end until you're 59 and a half years old without any penalties. So, you, know. <laughs> you should consider reading this series the same way you should consider getting a tattoo. You really want to think through it before you commit to it because it's going to be a long time. And you, you want to get it so worth it. I've, I've talked to a couple of people recently, <laughs> recently... Who have it's said, finally happening for right. you. We're so, we're so proud. Exactly. <laughs> They've said, oh, you're doing Wheel of Time? Oh, you know, I read the first book a while ago, and then I started the second and kind of just trailed off, and I never finished it. And I don't, I don't know if I want to go back. I wasn't really loving it. And I said, you know what? That's fine. If you weren't like falling in love with the book series and you didn't really feel compelled to keep going... I'm not sure that I would push somebody into it at this at this point. You know, and this opinion could change once we're done with all 14 books, but it's such a heavy investment and it's such a lot of time and word count and, and everything that I think I would have a hard time saying, I don't care who you are. You need to push through, right? Mm. Is, that, is that fair? Like, if you're a huge fan of fantasy and you haven't read these books, yeah, you should probably do it. But if you're a casual reader and you haven't read these... I, I wouldn't say it's required reading. I would say that's accurate. Yeah. Yeah. Up to this point, I would say yeah. are, yes. Um, it's kind of, I don't know how, I haven't read the end. I don't know what's going on there, but I've, I'm afraid that uh, it would be like going to one of the Marvel movies just to see the after credit scene. If the <laughs> right. end, it's like the rest of it kind of may have been okay or whatever, but <laughs> the end was that one scene. You got to see it. I feel like that's kind of what we're pitching if you, until we hit the end and, you know, really get a better feel right. for it. Right. Okay. Well, uh, anyway, I guess we should actually talk about this book in particular, uh, but we'll revisit that 
topic of recommendations and uh, time investments and stuff maybe once or twice more before the end of the series but anyway today it's a crown of swords book seven and i've got a few paragraphs uh, of synopsis if you guys are ready rand is quite busy in this book he's also getting busy with men <laughs> in the aftermath of Dumai's wells rand must re-establish control over kyrian wrangle his new dragon sworn eyes to die and confront samael once and for all which he does in shadar logoth some stuff happens there but the most important is the fact that i was right Lya is still <laughs> alive and all shadar logoth out that is until rand bale fires her in a mercy killing the Shadar Logoth smoke monster gets Samael, or does it? I wasn't quite clear on that, but I didn't see any brain matter, so I must assume that he's still alive. Meanwhile, Egwene is still, uh, or she is also establishing control, in her case, over the rebel Aes Sedai in Salidar. With Swan's help, she gets her new army moving toward Tarvalin with the goal to depose Elida. She also sends Nynaeve and Elaine to Ebudar to find the Bull of the Winds. Side note, uh, I stand second to none in, in my love of fantasy literature, but typing out all of those words and names is the nerdiest thing that I've ever done in my, oh my life. Uh, anyway, she also manipulates Matt into going along with them. And once we get to, to Ebudar, lots of things happen. They find the Bull of the Winds and fight a golem. Lan shows up and marries Nynaeve. And Matt gets raped by the queen until, and I'm not making this up, he decides he likes it. And that's about the book, I guess. <laughs> uh, Kyle and I would we, we talk every so often at work about the books, and you know, he'll ask me how's it going. And I was about halfway through this book, and he goes, "You know what I call book seven? And I said, "No, what?" He's like, "This is the rapey book," <laughs> and I hadn't got to any of that, and so I'm like, "I don't know what you're talking about." But then, sure enough, this is a super rapey book. Yep. Kyle, tell oh, us a little more about that. Oh, thank you for volunteering me. As the, <laughs> yeah. Well, it's actually a pretty heated discussion um, within Randland fandom of. Say the, that 10 times. Yeah. Fast. <laughs> of the whole Matt and Queen Tylen scenario where she basically rapes him for several chapters until, like you said, he starts to like it. Yeah. And. <laughs> Um, Stockholm syndrome. The thing, the, th <laughs> the thing that made me the most upset about that was the entire time that Elaine and Nynaeve are telling him that he's such this terrible person, and all he ever wants to do is like pinch tavern girls' bottoms and all this kind of stuff. <laughs> and uh, they start accusing him when they find out what's going on with him and Tylin. They start accusing him of you know he's this terrible person and he's doing this to a queen and then, and that this is awful. And then they find out what really is going on. And he tells them like, no, like she's forcing she, me to do yeah, these she things came on to and, me. and I don't want to do these things. And then they think it's hilarious. They giggle. Yeah. They think it's the funniest thing in the Getting world. What you deserve. Or and uh, out or whatever. we were talking about this at work and we were just wondering if Robert Jordan had some kind of weird fetish or something with the way that Thailand treats Matt and I, yeah, Anyways. it's either, either he did, or he just kind of figured like, Oh, people think this is sexy. I've mm -hmm. read enough like romance novels that uh, people are kind of into this whole dominance thing. And so if I have her hold a knife to its, his throat, it's sexy. It is a interesting contrast because we've talked about this before on the podcast, the way that Robert Jordan writes some of these more adult themes and like, compared to uh, the way that George R. R. Martin writes them or the way that the show um, Game of Thrones shows them, I guess. Um, Jordan is very much the um, pan to the fireplace type of like, oh, they're about to, you know, what were you saying about Rand and Matt getting it on? Or Rand and Min, excuse me. <laughs> that would be a different thing. This took a whole different turn. Um, but it's like more of the pan to the fireplace kind it's of the, uh, well, idea uh, versus the Truman Show. Or the curtains yeah. always blow oh, yeah. in. We never get to see Versus anything. Martin dwelling on it and being very descriptive. Um, but The Wheel of Time has very, very mature and adult themes. And we see that in this book with Matt and Tylin. But we also saw that uh, Valda and Morghese, um he takes right. advantage of Morghese, Um And she's pretty shook up about it for a little while. Yeah. Um, now, Valda, as, Valda is the usurper, right? Yeah, he is now okay. the I, I, to be honest, head I white cannot cloak. keep track. Lord Captain Commander. 
I yeah, um, keeping yeah. track of the white cloaks right now is impossible. And then we also see it with with the Forsaken, um, with Mogedian, and it's used as a form of punishment from the Dark One. He allows Shidar Haran to uh, basically rape Mogedian, and it's really messed up. Yeah. So it's 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 a huge debate, um, and we won't dwell on it too much more. But it's something that could be debated, on, I guess, on the Reddit threads or whatever. It's uh, it's interesting the way that. Jordan has chosen to use this in this book, but yeah. Anyways, that's why I call it the rapey book because yeah. it's very rapey. <laughs> okay, then it's a great way to start well. our podcast. We've gotten <laughs> to straight for the rape. <laughs> wow, I don't know if I'd quite put it that way. <laughs> what uh, else have we discussed? What? <laughs> Well, now it's that just thoroughly insulting you know everybody. That, you know that people can pull the MP3 and they can chop it up, and so they can just get you saying straight to the rape, like, <laughs> and that'll be now. That's going to be a, a Reddit flare. It's going to be a Reddit flare now. Somebody's <laughs> going to be like, "No, you have to make that a Reddit flare, straight to the rape." Oh no! And oh, now, and now that you've said it, uh, by the way, to to the person who inevitably will put that on the Reddit thread. No, <laughs> no. Oh, I was gonna say thank you, but <laughs> no. Uh, Let's move on. Other things that happen in the book. <laughs> uh, yeah, Ryan. Other things that happen in the book. What do you want to talk about? So, one of the things that actually caught me by surprise, and it shouldn't have, but it did in this book, that really got me excited, uh, was when Land popped back into the story. Oh, sure. I was like, oh, hey, he's back, and and deader than ever. He really. Oh yeah. <laughs> really, yeah. He's very broken man but knowing that this is going to to lead to something um with Nynaeve and and that his story is going to continue on I I missed him once he left like I think there's not like he was adding a whole lot of dialogue to the story or anything right. but there was a nice presence that he brought to everything <laughs> you are needed <laughs> Lan so, is back and so is the most drab love story ever yeah it's pretty bad but the fact uh, but I enjoyed the fact that he shows back up and we get him back with Nynaeve right as she breaks through, as she has her moment to break through her, her block and everything. Right. It kind of seems like all these pieces for Nynaeve are starting to come back together. So maybe we're going to get to be a little, we're going to get a new Nynaeve here in a little bit. And I think that that's needed right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It is needed. I'm, I'm glad to finally be done with the mental block. I was so that tired was nice. of that. So yeah. nice. So tired. And of I really like how he and, handled that too. I thought it was. A really and all cool it took scene. was yeah. All it took was her nearly dying. Yeah, you know. You know. Hey, cool. I uh, I like that scene quite a lot. I, yeah. Um, it was, you knew she was going to get out of it. Robert Jordan isn't going to kill Nynaeve at the bottom of the river. You know, like in some stupid fashion. In the middle of a book series. And that, so you know, yeah. in a in a book where a lot of things kind of just happen there are many many paragraphs of things that don't feel consequential this was another thing where oh mogidian missed and now she's at the bottom of the river and he's gonna spend half a chapter getting her to the top of the river and you know all this stuff but no he puts that in there he uses that to break her block i thought it was creative and and uh, to bring and, and a good read and yes. rescues her it yeah. turns out it was needed good one ken <laughs> it was a good one the the only thing about it that does still irritate me is um the fact that lan still holds on to his whole concept even though he moves past it somewhat the whole thing like i i'm not going to give my wife a a a widow's blah 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 yeah yeah i have tough guy yeah his whole thing there i have a special set of skills (laughs) thanks liam neeson (laughs) Um, lan neeson but the fact is, is Nynaeve actually works through it, right? kind of works him through it and says, you know what, you're, you, uh, you're my warder until I find someone else. Great, I found someone. It's, it's you and you're going you're gonna to marry me and we're going to do all this. And uh, I appreciate that they, that it, as irritating as it is that Lan is still trying to be the, you know, it's for the greater good, I can't do that, that she pushes through it and they end up married and they can have that sitcom happen now. And I, I like the the bit where he says something like he implies you know i'm still bonded to is it morella i'm still bonded yeah. to morella and so if we get married and do it you're doing it with her too and she's or she'll like, know about and it and she's like yeah, okay 
Her response is, is there a way to let her know that it's me? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Rear. Exactly. Um, now that Land's back, I did have something I wanted to talk about a little bit. Um, the parallels between Land and Rand, I think, are really cool. And it's cool to see... Land? Yeah, Rand? Land, Land, Rand. Rand, Land. Um, even going all the way back to book one or, or book two, where specifically the scene in... Shinar, where Swan Sanche summons Rand to come and see him, and then like Land gives him all of these quick pointers before he goes to see the Armorland seat, and Moraine didn't know about it, and all of that kind of stuff. There's a really cool connection between these two. Um, they're both obviously destined to fight the Shadow. They're both kind of put into these positions of like royalty, essentially, because Lan is the king of Malkir, and Rand is the Dragon Reborn, and and he's going to be, well, he's now the king of Ilion at the end of this book. Um, but the other thing that I thought Spoiler. was really interesting. Just kidding. <laughs> king of the world. King of the world. The thing that I thought was really cool is that Rand and Lan are the only two um, that have been bonded against their will. Because Rand, or Lan's water bond was passed to Morel without his without will. His, and there's yeah. a huge but, discussion but, 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 about that going on. Is there... I thought that he knew about it and he, kind of accepted. Moraine told him about it after it had been done. Oh. But it doesn't but they, mean he was. Yeah. So when Egwene and Swan go and actually find Lan before they mm. send Lan off to find Nynaeve, there's that whole scene with the Aes Sedai with, is it Morel? Morel? Mirella. Mirella. Anyways, uh, that's how they say it on the audio. Yeah, Morella. So. Um, there's that whole scene with her and the other, the other Aes Sedai that's there. And they're like afraid because they've been found out that they have land and this this it's this bonding that's prohibited by the White Tower or whatever. So, anyways, I just kind of want to draw that parallel between land and Rand. I thought it was kind of cool because they've both been bonded against their will. And I wonder if Jordan's trying to draw more parallels between these two characters. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, I don't know. I haven't thought about it enough to rattle off anything else off the top of my head. Either of you guys. Nah, Honestly, it, yeah, not so much. It, it's not a connection that I made until you mentioned it, you know, way back when. And it's interesting. I mean, there might be something there. Yeah. That and you've read the whole series. So. Yeah. If anything, it just kind of mentor style. I've always yeah. f- seen Lan as Rand's as old, men- old Rand, no dragon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> what? Too many minutes to process what he was saying there. <laughs> no, just as a, a mentor figure that kind of got him from being the farm boy into being an able-bodied fighter and, you know, giving him the, the iron spine that he needs to, you know, be able to do what he's got to do. So. Wasn't that a metal band in the 80s? Iron spine sounds like a Decepticon. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Now we're talking. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, okay, what else? Ken, what do you want to talk about? Um, This is a book where everything kind of starts rolling downhill to me. I mean, you, you've got like, like the proverbial, well, never well all, all of the, I guess the wheel starts rolling downhill as it were with, with the, uh, what's the, what's Armageddon called? Tarmengaiden? Tarmengaiden. Yeah, it, it's, it, it's starting to kind of roll. I mean, you, you've got dark friends where you didn't think there were dark friends, like the, the head inquisitor guy uh, of the children of the light. He, is being influenced by one of the Forsaken. You've got um, the the Black Aja really taking shape now. Which and, and it's a it's a book where you uh, start to learn just how long a game that the Dark One's playing. I mean, Aes Sedai are well over four hundred years old and a lot longer. I only say that one because that's the one that uh, what's her name said that you know she was 412 when something happened I it can't wasn't an Aes Sedai it was one, it was of, one of the circle one of the, kin. the kin. yeah the kin that said it but I mean she was 412 so the Aes Sedai I mean they age very slowly as Elaine points out um, who was who was the Aes Sedai yeah. were pretty shocked at how old yeah. she was so. yeah it's, yeah, something, oldest, it's definitely something to keep an eye on. So yeah, um, but the Aes Sedai were really surprised that she was four hundred and twelve. Earlier, was, earlier in the book, Cad Swain, she might have just been thinking to herself. I don't know if she told anybody, but she was her. like, she was like, oh, I'm two hundred and fifty years old. I'm such mm-hmm. a badass. Yeah, <laughs> and then you know, a few hundred pages later, it's like I'm four hundred and twelve. 
Who was, Eat that, sucker. Who was the black Aja <laughs> at the end who gets trapped uh, uh, by the Shido? Oh. Aiel. Galena. Galena, thank you. I mean, she's been, Yeah, Gargamel. <laughs> That's where I was going. <laughs> she's been she's been Black Aja for eight, almost 80 years or something like that. So, I mean, it, they've been playing a long game, and you, this is where you finally start figuring out just how, you know, this is taking shape, and mm-hmm. so th- things start rolling. As the series has progressed, it's moved from feeling like every now and then there's like this little spotting of here's a little bit of, a, here's a dark friend here, or dark friend there, Black Aja here. We've got to the point where I feel like if the Black Aja and all the dark friends just all of a sudden all said, all right, everyone, time to reveal yourself, put your hands up, like most of the room would turn around and be right. like, oh, really? Holy cow. Wow, we've we've got the majority here. Okay. Hail Hydra. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hail dark friend. Yeah. You know, but I, yeah, it's, it, it's pervasive and it's a bigger problem than you're really led to believe. And this is where the light is shine shown on the dark, I guess. Anyway, I in this book. Yeah. There's a lot of, there's a lot of dark friend forsaken activity yeah. going on for sure. I, I kind of feel like you, like with you to your original point that things are starting to ramp up and, and get rolling towards Tarman Gaiden a little bit more that the timeline is tightening up. Um, yes, but, I, I would never put it past Jordan to be able to really halt that and start building something again in the middle of what he's already done. Um, and the odd thing is actually this book is the shortest time space of all the books. Oh, is it really? It oh. takes place over 11 days. Shut up. Wow. Everything takes place over 11 days in this book. It's the shortest time frame. Oh, how did you, how did you, it's like a, it's like a how Dan you know Brown that? Cause I didn't <laughs> blows my mind. Where do you find that? Random really? fun facts. Wow. It's, yeah, it takes place <laughs> over eleven days. Um, none of the other books are that short in terms of time frame, is, uh, except for maybe, f- uh, well, I don't know, fourteen might be. The yeah. uh, the first three books have maybe been the shortest so far, but is this the shortest after that? Like four Probably. and five and in terms six of were page just count. massive, right? And so now we mm-hmm. got back into a slightly shorter book, but still eleven days. Didn't you say mm-hmm. seven and eight are really short? Um, they feel. I mean, they definitely feel short, especially since four, five, and six are all just massive, sprawling. Well, this we, is a, we need to get all these big pieces out here, moving into the mainland. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is a point where it, it doesn't need to take as long to do anything because everybody can gateway now. Yeah, I. You know, things are set up with gateways, yeah. and 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 like you said, things are kind of rolling downhill, as you said. Things are picking up speed, and it makes me wonder because it feels like you're getting toward the end of the story when things are moving this fast it's like oh we're reaching the exciting conclusion no right. we're halfway through <laughs> like where do we go from here and i i am genuinely curious i remember from my previous read through i literally remember one more thing there's one more thing that has to happen and then i'm out and i don't know when that happens i don't know if that's in book eight or nine oh, or wow. I don't think I, I don't, yeah, not you, 10, but anyway. You say that it, it's interesting as, as my first read through, this is where I, I actually felt invested in this, in, in Randland. In oh yeah? This. I mean, I, I've started to feel invested before, but now I'm like, kind of like, I'm in, I'm interested to see where all of this is heading now. That's funny. And Seven and the books. characters are starting to, you know, really take root with yeah. me and everything. You know what? I think there's something to be said about that because the, just how big the world is, like, Take it for a positive or a negative, whether it's like, oh, it took you seven books to get in. Like maybe that means there was, you know, maybe they need to hook you faster or whatever. But it took Jordan seven books to really flesh this out and make it something where you're like, no, I am like all in here and I'm going to finish this. I think think that's largely what it is, is now we kind of have the picture of what the world mm-hmm. looks and like you, you understand it you can like you can you know all the different nations all the different yeah. cultures and for the most part yeah go ahead ryan clear it will clarify something for me you're saying Ranland specifically in in the sense that it's the first time you've been invested in the world as a whole because i mean like because i kind of agree with you in the sense that the early books i'm really invested in rand and in mad mm-hmm. and these in a lot of the characters in there right but until we've gotten further out here and get a better understanding of the world picture where they can throw a name out there and I know like generally what sort what to expect with that. Um, I, I can agree with that sense, but it, it doesn't take seven books to get invested in this series, but it might take seven books to get invested in the the world. That's the world. And, and that's exactly what I'm saying. I'm, 
I'm not, I, the characters are here now and now it's what's going on. The, all of the politics, all of the connections between mm-hmm. all of these nations. I mean, when Rand goes to talk to the sea folk, mm-hmm. when I, For, I, I can't even remember all of the connections now, but it's everything that's happening and all of the new connections that are made. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's more seeing how the world is, is shaping mm-hmm. that, that I find For me, interesting. For me, and maybe this will kind of sum it up a little bit. Now that I've read through it several times, I feel that way from book one where I'm like, oh, okay, I, I want to see exactly what's shaping. But but for me, the first time through, it was I really latched on to a certain character or characters. It was Rand or Matt or whomever. And I would read that point Fahil. of view. Yeah. Yes, Fael. I'd read that point of view and then it would switch to another character. And I'd be like, oh, man, I just want to keep reading about Matt or I just yeah. want to keep reading about Rand. But now that doesn't happen. Like I still enjoy those points of view characters for sure. But now I can, I have a better sense of like, oh, we're switching over to random questioner Jacob Carradine's point of view. He's not one of my favorite invested main characters, but I really am interested in what's happening with him because this is how this is going to affect the world as a whole. Yep, so it's like exactly. I'm interested to see until, how this adds up mm-hmm. until a certain point. And that point is Morgay's 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 Tricon. Seriously, who gives a sweet, sweet rat's ass about Morgay's Tricon? You, I'm, I'm gonna do something I shouldn't do here. If, as much as we despise, Are you spoil it. No, not not. Are you gonna yes agree no, with Craig? Not with not with Morgay's. As much as we hate what's going on with Morgay's, I want you to realize I'm, I'm in Crossroads of Twilight right now, just so everyone knows where I am. And the name Eamon Valda just showed up again, and I wanted to punch my own eyes out with a stapler. <laughs> <laughs> like, I just, uh, as, as much as I despise the Morgays chapters, I'm like, no, we're not doing this again. We are not going back there again. <laughs> but we do. I will say, I don't I don't hate Morgays necessarily <laughs> so, no, much, so much as I want her, I want her to have a reason to be here. It's like, okay, show me why, she, let, let's pay this off. Okay, I'm I'm tired of seeing her as a prisoner of the children yeah, of the light been... or whatever. And okay, now you've just renounced your crown. Great. If a tree falls in the woods, does anybody hear? I mean, if you renounce your crown to no one, who cares? Right. You know, she hey, cares. She knows. It's in her heart. Yeah, exactly. Well, and, and <laughs> they they sent they sent a letter to Elaine saying, "Hey, guess what? Your mother's been alive this whole time," and she doesn't believe him. So I mean, let's let's pay some stuff off here. I mean, yeah. come on. Yeah, I think it's been almost two full books of Morgay's sitting With, around in, in uh, the White Cloaks yeah. Palace. Yeah. Unless she comes in, and this entire this could entirely happen. Unless she comes in like the I don't remember what their name is, but the um, Rohirrim. The ones that were exiled from Denethor and Lord of the Rings. Unless she comes riding wow. in with an army you right just there. You butchered so much of what I love. That's what I'm aiming for. The group that gets exiled, it's led by um, Carl, whatever. Carl Urban. <laughs> Carl Urban, yeah. I thought you like Carl from The Walking I Dead. I thought they were called the Rope. Carl. <laughs> That's Coral. Coral. Unless she comes riding in with an army to save the day at a certain point, I think this is a giant waste of time. Yeah. i'm having a hard time getting past coral (laughs) uh okay so i all the same it so it it probably will pay off i don't imagine that robert jordan is just like screwing with us for a hundred out of 700 pages of this book right Right. um it will pay off at some point i guess i have faith in that i just am tired of reading it yeah. It's been a long time. And mm-hmm. like you said, Ken, there yeah. is no payoff. We need a payoff. Just, just get to the payoff now. Where's Coral? That's all I want to know. <laughs> you got seven books to go, my friend. Oh, oh just <laughs> heaven's sake. I just realized where my error was. Oh, blood Denethor is in Gondor. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan's over here just racking his brain while the rest what of us What did I do? Going. Like, I swear I remember this. <laughs> There's at least three people who had an aneurysm after they heard me say that <laughs> outside of One Craig. One sitting next to you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. So I would like to talk about not bad guys so much as the bad ladies in this game, in this book. There are two. There is... Egwene. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. Who's Savannah? Savannah. Savannah of the Shido Aiel. 
you read uh, some from her perspective and then there's Elida in the White Tower and you read some from her perspective and it is shocking to me how much I don't care (sighs) about Savannah. I don't care. I don't want to read her. I don't want to think about her. I don't... She is uninteresting to me. Yep. And every time I get to an Elida chapter, I'm like, I am on board. I want to know what you're thinking. I want to know what's going on. I want to hear all about the politics of your situation. It's... I love those chapters and I'm not sure that I have figured out the difference. So I, I wanted to ask you guys if you, you know, what what do you think might be the difference? Why am I liking her so much? So the biggest, because I feel the very similar feelings towards this one, uh, towards that. Um, both these characters, I feel like they have this sense of comeuppance is going to come for them and eventually, you know, karma's going to come around and get them. But the reason why I think Elida's a little bit easier to stomach um, or a little more interesting there is because there's an already an, uh, an understood sense of power there. She's the Omerlin seat of the of that White Tower. Yeah. Um, she's proven herself through many books to be a, a very adept person. She's not an idiot. She's not a... Whereas Savannah, she's... I can't understand why anyone listens to her. That yeah. might be part of it. Like, she this was the wife... doesn't make any sense to me. Like, she wasn't even the wife... Or she was the... She wasn't even a wise one at first, or she didn't even go to Ruidion, I think. Yeah, she's uh, not. She hasn't. She's not a wise one. She doesn't channel. She's she's claimed that she's the clan chief now since mm-hmm. her. She was married to the clan chief. She's been married to two clan chiefs. To two clan chiefs, and mm-hmm. that that's all. That's her claim to fame. And yeah. The I, it was. I will say it was very enjoyable she's to like watch. She's like a Kardashian. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. I. It was very enjoyable to watch her perspective of Dumai's Wells in the prologue. And and to watch her, you know, run away like, oh no, this will turn around. This, will, oh crap! And then you know, finally run away. And if I had not heard from her again, I wouldn't have been. And sad. her and her whole end goal is kind of lame. It is. I want to marry Randall Thor so that I am married to the most powerful man in the world, so that I can be the most powerful, and I'll curb him to my will. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, everyone wants to curb Rand yeah. to their will, but. I mean, they're both very similar characters, and their goals are actually pretty similar. I mean, Elida doesn't want to marry Rand, but she wants to control him, control the most powerful man in the world, and Savannah's method of that is simply to marry him, and then she can control him. Um, but I think the the purpose behind them is one step back from Team Evil to see what the Forsaken are doing and how they're manipulating the powers in the world, and Elida's one of them. And Savannah's one of them, and what the Forsaken are doing because they're, they're they have their fingers in both of those. Um, right. They're so trying to speak. cause chaos for Rand because Savannah's Shido. That's all that they are is they are chaos. Um, they they just cause problems for Rand. Elida, she's going to cause problems, but she's also the White Tower. Like there is that structure there. Um, so yeah, I think I think the purpose behind them is definitely not necessarily what Elida wants and what Savannah wants. It's the Forsaken it's, yeah. playing to what they want it's the and getting them control. to do what the Forsaken want them to do because you've got um, Samael and Graindal that keep visiting over on Savannah's mm-hmm. camp and you've got Masana behind the scenes in the White Tower manipulating Alviarin, who is now manipulating Elida. Um, so yeah, it's, it's going up the chain. It's like... Uh, Ken said earlier there's a lot of bad guy activity um, but I do think that these guys hit it right on the head it's because I can't understand why anybody would listen to Savannah in the, in the first place <laughs> yeah. I um, when I think about the difference between the two I think about the fact that like somebody said eventually both of these women will get their comeuppance and when I consider that fact <laughs> Excuse me. Elida is the much more sympathetic of the two. If somebody came in and just, uh, you know, ruined the entire White Tower and imprisoned her and stilled her, she would admit defeat and be very sad about that and cut a more sympathetic figure. <coughs> oh, man, I'm dying here. I can see that. If that same, well, you know, if a parallel thing happens to Savannah, no such... Uh, realization that she failed right she would just keep being uh, a horrible horrible I don't want to use that word awful person (laughs) 
<laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah. And so I think there's still some sympathy in my heart for Elida, partly going back to whatever book it was where it was it became clear that no, she's not part of the Black Aja or anything like that. Mm-hmm. She's just power hungry. Right. And she's, she's just got delusions of grandeur. And, right. Yeah. Caused partly by her ability, her foresh- her ability to <laughs> her foreshadow. She's connected certain pieces and she knows that, like if I remember right, hers is that um, the Tracan family will be integral to the to the, the last Guide. Mm-hmm. Guiden. Right. And so for her, like her drive is, I'm trying to save the world by making sure that this family is taken care of by doing all this right. stuff for them. And so, yeah, I agree with that. But I actually, I this is 100% honest. I have no idea what's going to happen to her. I don't, not, that hasn't been spoiled for me yet, but I don't think stilling would be a, a, a problem. Like, I don't think that would be enough for her. To admit defeat? Not not even to admit defeat, but for her comeuppance, she is either oh, going I to see. she's yeah. either going to have to sacrifice herself, um, in which case she becomes has a redempt, uh, redemption right. arc, redemptive, yeah, or um, she may die, but I don't feel that's going to be the case. I actually think she is going to get a collar around her throat. Oh, you think so? Yeah, I actually, because that's the that only you, thing I can think of that would really make me feel like, ooh, she, yeah, she got what she, she got it, she got it. I uh, now that you say that though, I kind of I wonder if. Uh, Jordan is setting up the two characters as parallels as we've talked about and if he will then diverge at the end and Savannah will be the one with the proverbial collar around her neck Mm -hmm. um, kind of getting whatever poetic justice it is and then Elida would be the one who ultimately realizes that she's been a fool and that she needs to make up for it and she sacrifices herself to take out Masana in the White Tower or something during whatever battle is coming up with Egwene's forces or something like that, right? Uh, I wouldn't right. be surprised if I saw something like that. I could, I could see s- that happen. I could even see the, for as far as we know, the the horn is still in the tower, isn't it? As far mm-hmm. as we know. It could be one of those things that she ends up having, you know, having to go get it or something like that. that right. Be, and that's her redemption is to go and get the horn so that it can be brought to the last battle or right. whatever. Okay. All right. The horn's still in the tower, but the dagger isn't. Well, hang on. Hold that thought, Ken, because before we leave Elida, uh, Ryan, you mentioned the foretelling. I think it was you. Mm -hmm. I don't really listen to you guys when you talk, so whatever. (laughs) We know. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What? What? (laughs) But uh, she does give, I think it's back in the prologue or maybe chapter one, she does give another foretelling. Uh, And I wanted to read that basically just because it would bring up another round of kind of predictions. And at some point, we ought to get to voicemails. Maybe we'll we'll do voicemails on part two. Anyway, we'll talk about that in a minute. We should do at least one on this one. Okay. All right. Uh, All right. So she foretells to Alviarin, I think, and she says, The White Tower will be whole again, except for remnants cast out and scorned, whole and stronger than ever. Randall Thor will face the Omerlin seat and know her anger. The Black Tower Tower will be rent in blood and fire, and sisters will walk its grounds. This I foretell. And uh, I think this gives us a pretty good idea of what's coming up in future books. Uh, of course, she interprets this to mean that he will he will know my anger because I'm the Omerlin seat, and the rest of us reading know that eh, it's probably talking about Egwene, right? Mm-hmm. Right. And when it says the White Tower will be whole and there are those who are cast out, that doesn't necessarily mean Egwene's little band of merry uh, ladies. It's uh, they, they will probably make the tower whole again and cast out the Black Aja or Elida and her cronies or whatever, mm-hmm. right? Well, now right. her the little rebel White Tower out there actually... I can't say this uh, that I'm sure this is factual, but I actually think they're larger than the White Tower now. Who is the what now? The the shy, the, the rebel Aes Sedai. Oh the yeah, because with the ad with the well, with addition the, of the kin, she um, says there are twice as many kin as there are Aes Sedai. Period. Yeah. yeah, and so now they have like what three so like, times? They're like four or five like, times. More. There's almost yeah. two thousand kin. They were saying, and I think right. and there's Sedai, less think, than a thousand uh, Aes Sedai total. Yeah, there's like total. six or seven hundred Aes Sedai total. So it's like assume you know crazy. What a third of those are the uh, are the rebels. So I mean, you're looking at twenty three hundred versus five hundred. Yeah, but I thought I thought that part of the foretelling was really interesting, where it says the White Tower will be whole again and stronger than ever. Um, back in the Age of Legends, the White Tower 
or the Aes Sedai group would have been made of both male and female channelers. So stronger than ever. What does that mean? Right. Interesting. <clears throat> I don't know because there are no beginnings or endings to the wheel of time or this podcast. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, the the other part is the, the, the black tower will be rent in blood and fire. So something's going to happen to the Ashaman and sisters Rolling will walk blood and fire <laughs> and sisters will walk its grounds. And now with Rand having gathered both Ashaman, Ashaman and uh, Aes Sedai around him that could mean anything they're you know they're probably just running around like healing people or something it, so she interprets it I think to mean that Aes Sedai will go and like lay waste to the Black Tower but I'm not sure that that's what that means her, her foretelling I always wonder how much of it can be versus is affected by what she wants to happen and right. how much how much is it possible that it's being a manipulated by forces. There's well this is something we see I think in the real world a lot, right? You oh, take, sure. Hey, now we are broadcasting from the good old US of A and so we're very familiar with um Christian stuff. You know, that just permeates here and uh, you if you're familiar with Christian prophecy and I suppose that I don't really know enough to say that it is the same in however many other religions but i imagine that this is a similar thing elsewhere there are prophecies and we say okay so this is what that bible verse means and it's real easy and you see it all the time where people say here's what i want to see happen and here is how i'm going to torture this phrase or this verse of a biblical prophecy to mean what to i want what it I to wanted, mean yeah, right exactly and so it's we see it all the time it's really easy to slip into in in real life mm-hmm. right oh yeah i think i think as far as the foretelling is concerned um her fo- foretelling is a talent and so what she says is true she's not she's not able to actually speak words that aren't true right but it's the interpretation of those words exactly and so like you're saying she's manipulating her own words to come out this you know, is what i want to see exactly mm-hmm. yeah prophecy is like a horoscope with a consequence it's just it fits whatever you need it to be <laughs> that's uh, awesome nice. that's yeah. awesome i like that Speaking you, of, uh, will you cross stitch that for the wall in here sure okay thanks, it's, it's interesting on those on that topic too that applies to every single one of men's viewings and she says sometimes she knows what it means and sometimes she doesn't and we see some of the images that she sees and it's you know Jordan's leaving that open to what our interpretation might be, and so who knows? Speaking uh, of and Rand, or Rand actually does this in this book very specifically when Min has a viewing of him. I believe it's it's shortly after Cad Swain shows up and she asks Rand if he'd started to hear voices yet, and mm-hmm. it freaks him out. And then Min says she has a viewing of him maybe a couple chapters later and says. I see you and another man there. You know, I see two men and one of you is going to die. Um, you know, and one of you will live, but it's not sure which one it is. And Rand immediately says, or he, he kind of starts to laugh and he's like, you've just basically proven to me that Luz Theron is real. Take that Cad Swain. And, <laughs> and, uh, mm-hmm. that's Rand's interpretation of that. And that's what Rand wants it to mean. So, but then at the end of the book, we find, you know, Wait, what, 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 at the end of the book, what? Well, because Rand and Samael, that maybe it's, I don't know. Oh, I see. No, I kind of, I, I was kind of with Rand I was on kind that of, one. I was too. But yeah. anyway, that, that uh, Ryan, what were you going to say? Brain, my brain right there. I was just saying, since you brought up men, I've, I have mixed feelings about that whole relationship. As with all the romances in this story, in this series, they are frequently questionable at best. Um, but... Min and Rand, I like. I, I kind of like them, mm-hmm. and I didn't think I would. Mm-hmm. Well, you, you know, we have someone who wanted to know about this. Should okay. we? Should we have a voicemail? Go for it. Okay. All right. I think I'm getting the right one here. Hey guys, I'm Rami from Egypt, and my question is: uh, What do you think of Min's significance and uh, development in this book? Because uh, if I recall, most of you weren't uh, very fond of her and thought that the only thing useful about her was review. So has, uh, has any of your opinions changed? Okay, peace. 
So you're not the only one wondering about men. So is Rom from Egypt. I think it was Rom. I think I caught that. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, How cool that we have listeners in Egypt. <laughs> uh, it is pretty awesome. That's awesome. I have to admit. Uh, okay, but anyway, does that give you any direction for what you're about to say? A little bit. It's a, a it's a slight variation on what I was looking at there. I was focusing on the relationship between Ran and Mind. Um, but I think that but, is kind of, that is her role in this book, and and that's that's what's developed here in this book. Right. I think a lot. But I my opinion of Min has changed a little bit um, in the sense that it, in the earlier books, because she played such a smaller role, her job was to show up and give us a MacGuffin, you know, or give us something to, you know, oh this is going to happen, so now we got to watch for it. Mm-hmm. It was just a little signpost, something. Um, whereas now she's actually more of a an integral character, an in integral character <laughs> nice. um, in Rand's story because even though he loves Elaine, even though he loves Avienda and he has different reactions to them, she's the one that actually brings him out of being stony iron heart Rand. Like, right. He actually feels he can be himself around her and I think that we really need to get that back from Rand um, because he's getting to be too hard. And I, I, I think Min's a good way to do that. I did not. I was not a fan of the way that Robert Jordan wrote Min falling in love with Rand. Uh, yes. You know, this is way back in like book two or something. Like, well, oh, uh, I got a vision. I better might as well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, she's hot and she wears pants. Huh? What a rebel. <laughs> Um, and now she's in love with Rand because I need her to be. And you neither know. of them wear pants. Because <laughs> <laughs> oh, they're rebels. <laughs> um, anyway, so I, I wasn't a fan of that. However, now that they're kind of together and they've had several books of, of minor interactions and now they get their major interactions, I do feel like he has brought them together in a reasonable way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and kind of developed their love story in a reasonable way, even yes. if it wasn't started in a way that I liked. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I so I was very much okay with it because, like you said, Ryan, she's she is kind of like we talked about the influence of the Maidens in an earlier book. She's somebody who kind of keeps him grounded, right? And yes. she can still call him sheep herder and all of that sort of thing. She's very mm-hmm. much a stabilizing influence, right? which is something that he sorely needs right now because he is clearly unstable. Mm-hmm. Um, oh. I was the one that was not critical because I've always actually really liked men. It, I think my comments before, which probably sparked this question, was that if I were writing the screenplay, she would be the first person that I cut from the screenplay because what she adds to the story could be attributed to another character fairly easily if you were going through and, and, and writing the screenplay where you would have to trim things down. Um I actually think that it's probably the most organic relationship that we've seen so far. Um, I do feel like his relationship with Avienda was pretty well done yes. back in book four. I want to say, yeah. Um, and I do like everything that you guys are saying about you know what she brings for Rand because he definitely needs to be grounded. Like I said, I don't say I'm not saying that she's not useful to the story, and in the books, she's definitely we can leave her the way that she is. My comments were, if I were writing the screenplay for the upcoming TV series, I would attribute her viewings to a different character, and I would attribute you know, that sense of grounding him to reality to somebody other than a love interest. I think that's super, super reasonable if you're making a movie out of this or mm-hmm. a, a, a series of movies, you know? Mm-hmm. But if you are, if they're doing a TV series and they have room and they have time for all these characters, I would leave her in. I would amend it just a little bit and kind of strike the middle ground. I mean, because the the way she got here was ridiculous with all of the, I'm supposed to love Rand, so therefore I will. And then the stuff in book six was just ridiculous with all the googly eye and, and stuff like that. But but their love story in this book is, I'm going to go ahead and say fantastic. I think that they the way they work together is, is outstanding. So if I was you know writing this- pantsless? And pantsless. I'm upset. You're upset. Let's have sex. That's, but it, that's your idea. <laughs> that's exactly it. It has been a troublesome day. Take me. <laughs> there you go. Okay, now. <laughs> okay, there's your flair. 
okay. But yeah, okay, so but somebody's got to somebody's got to chop that up in an MP3 <laughs> and put that somewhere. It's been a troublesome day. Take, Take me. me. <laughs> exactly. But oh, but the the point being, I I think she clearly has value to the story, especially, and and I don't think her her visions anymore are I, I, the whole sole purpose of her being there. And so I would just start her, you know, here. You know, Min is here. There's none of this love story stuff. She's just, hey, she's Rand's girlfriend. Or depending on, you know, how we write the screenplay. I, I don't think, um, kind of going to Kyle's point there, I don't think we can, I don't think you can cut Min um, for a very stupid reason. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited. <laughs> now I'm intrigued. If you cut Min, you have two women in the story currently. You have Avienda and Elaine both vying for his love. Um which in a, in the storytelling of, of a screenplay or whatever, it, it's one of those things like he has to make a choice. If there's three of them, you can somehow be like, ah, they were just really weird. We're just going to go with all three anyway. But if you just do two, it feels weird. <laughs> as long as he's got three, it's a little less weird. I don't know why that is, but sure. See, see my thought would be, point. my thought would be it's already, and, the, and he uses this a little bit, um, it's already built into the IEL culture to have sister wives. Mm-hmm. But I don't know that we've ever seen a clan chief that's had three wives. And so that would be my argument against that is just like Avienda would think that it was completely normal and it would basically be just a matter of convincing Elaine and Rand. Anyways, cool. we don't need we don't need to dwell on this because yeah. it's really not important. Um Yeah, Min in the books is great. I actually really like her character. Like I said, if I were writing the screenplay, I still would probably attribute her to someone else. Bottom line, Rom, we've all softened on Min. We think she's important. <laughs> now nobody yeah no, yeah i to kyle's point i think people misunderstood maybe Un- understandably they misunderstood that we aren't crapping on men yeah we like her yeah we like men fine anyway uh all right we are just a few minutes out so let's go over maybe one more thing for this episode and then we'll uh hold stuff i know we've got one more um We've got one more voicemail to get to, and I think we'll save that for episode two of Crown of Swords. So uh, we know who you are, and you know who you are, and we'll get to you oh, yeah. next episode. Ooh, anyway, we'll get to you. Ken, what do you got? Uh, the only smaller, the smaller thing that I noticed is, is how about Mogidian? Mogidian. How about Moraine too, or or what's her name? Uh, Catswain. Oh, Catswain. Yeah. Yeah. I thought you were like, oh, oh you want to talk so. about Cat Swain now? Oh boy, let's let's. Do we want to say that's probably one? a big one? I was going right, to say because Ken had brought up the dagger. Oh, oh yes, said, hold that's off a on that. Let's yeah, let's say. let's hold off on Cat Swain. Let's talk about the dagger a little bit because Kyle, you're very excited that the dagger yeah. has shown up again. Why? Because this was the spoiler from Dragon Reborn <laughs> episodes that I was going on my rant about Pat on Fane and Rand and how cool I think that storyline is, and I had maybe. Maybe let slip. Maybe that, jump the gun a little that, bit. That uh, Rand has been slashed by the dagger of Shadar Logoth. Now, and that did not happen in the Dragon Reborn, but it did happen in the four Crown books of later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah to to uh, those who got really miffed at Kyle over that, come on! Like <laughs> if you if you've read this 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 series all the way through, or maybe you know two or three or eighteen times then of course it's very spoilery to you but even like to me i i heard him say that and it just kind of washed over i yeah. didn't even didn't even register to, to me as well i i heard that and i went i didn't remember that oh well uh, it, and i think it was this. it was people go ahead ryan it was well, that's the thing with this series like you can easily throw something like that out and people and be like oh yeah i must have just missed that because there's so much totally there. <laughs> but yeah then or, you take out the neon lights or you do that very human thing that that i tend to do which is nod along and pretend that i totally know what you're talking about like oh yeah when he got slashed by the dagger in book three that was crazy <laughs> <laughs> you always know when craig's lying because he goes street <laughs> street craig is a liar um, okay, so Pat and Fane shows up. Yeah, that was crazy. Um, he's in the <laughs> he's in the middle of <laughs> that was crazy. He's in the middle of a Blade Master duel with Torum Riotan or Riotan. I don't can't remember how you pronounce yeah. it. But uh, all of a sudden, Mashadar shows up, and there's this shadow monster thing going on. Now, Mashadar is the Shadar Logoth presence, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. 
That and, was... Uh, yeah, I was a little confused by that. I didn't understand what was going on, but I was excited. Yeah, it looks... It, I mean, it looks very similar because, you know, Pat Unfane is essentially... He is... Mobile Shadar Logoth. Right. Right. And uh, he shows up and slashes Rand's side. <laughs> and he immediately the food truck of Shadar <laughs> He is the food truck. <laughs> the evil food truck. But uh, he slashes Rand's side and Rand immediately, like, collapses and... Um, we've seen it before and Rand even commented on this book that somebody who's, you know, wounded by that dagger dies pretty much instantly yeah, within right. moments. And so there's this kind of mad scramble to heal him and, and what's the yellow sister's names? I don't remember. Whatever. Whatever. Her name. She, yeah. She tries to heal him and she can't really heal him. And she starts explaining that, oh, there's like this cyst full of evil and that's his original wound in his side. And then she's like, but then there's this other evil and she can't really explain it. And Kat gets all frustrated. She's like, well, I don't know how to explain it. This is what it is. And she tries to heal him and doesn't really pull it off. And then they get to, and then Flynn shows up and Flynn shows up and he starts to heal. Um, and he kind of explains it the same way and it's super confusing, but we know that part of that is, you know, from his original wound, the dark one's evil that's in him. And the now taint. he's got, and now he's got Shadar Logoth's evil in there. And Flynn kind of seals them off. Which, yeah, he doesn't, he actually doesn't actually heal him. Yeah. He, just, so he, he, he doesn't, pockets off the He basically the seals those two injuries or those two evils away from Rand's body. And I mean, it's still inside of him, but they're basically fighting each other inside essentially this cyst of two evils system kind of crazy which is really interesting because they a continuous um we continually hear about how shadow logoth and the dark ones evil are different and they hate each other just as much as you know dark versus light and so rand has this huge battle thing going on inside him it's kind of weird all right which, which is an interesting they, there has been a lot of effort made to delineate and differentiate the evils of Shadar Logoth from the Dark One um, through this entire series. <clears throat> yeah. We're, we are supposed to understand that these are not the same thing and they are not friendly to them, to each other. Um, f- and I think that's probably important because it's been mentioned so many times um, that Shadar Logoth is not the workings of the Dark One. It is, I would say, from the bit we've talked about of Shadar Logoth and and how it came to be like it is like this the essence of human hatred and greed and all these terrible things that has have come together and kind of taken a sentient form it's, it's like, like that. it's like it's like hate jelly yes yes <laughs> hate it, jelly. it's like you keep it in the fridge you know next to the mustard yes something like that put on fun attacked him with his hate juice but i mean if you go to the end Yikes. sequence it's the, better than love juice right you go to the end sequence of this and we you talked about how like oh there's no brain matter samael got you know taken by in by the shadow logos creature but i legitimately actually think that samael could be gone i in the sense that we already know that some of the forsaken have come back so i'm guessing he could be brought back um but simply because i know shadow logoth evil fights the evil of the dark one as well right right that I don't have a problem believing that it consumed Samael. And I yeah, and I don't believe that the Dark One would be able to bring him back necessarily because I don't think that the Dark One would want to mess with the evil of Shadar Logoth mm-hmm. at all. Mm. To try like would Samael be worth that like reaching through Mashadar to bring him back? Probably not. He's probably just like, well, peace. I'm going to have to go get a new one of those. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Shael Ghul and Shadar Logoth have some black magic turf war going on right well once again the more important thing is that i was right about laia <laughs> i thought that the moment so. i read that too oh there's zombie laia <laughs> craig was and, right and we can talk about that whole scene next time do you want to yeah, yeah. because i think okay. that we have a i think one of our questions is oh about that's that. right okay and that'll be a, a longer discussion so yeah it will okay so we will come back uh next week i think it's next week it might be in two weeks i'm trying to think i might be sitting down with todd uh to do red, red shirts. shirts oh you're on in on that one too ken yeah. red shirts by scalzi john scalzi and so that'll be a lot of fun it's a comedy sci-fi book uh anyway so if you are interested in reading along with us go pick up that one the audiobook is narrated by will wheaton uh, which is 
you appropriate. Know, if you know anything about Star Trek, yes, it's highly appropriate. Anyway, so we will do that one. I, I, yeah, I don't know. I'll put it up on Reddit which one's coming first, whether it's part two of this or Red Shirts. But anyway, uh, yeah, when we get to part two of this, we'll have a voicemail to get to. And thank you very much to Ram from Egypt who sent in his voicemail this week. And I'm really glad we were able to get to that. If you want to send a voicemail, go to thelegendariumpodcast.com and find the orange button at the bottom of any screen and leave that voicemail there. Um, And if you cannot do that for any reason, head to thelegendarium.reddit.com and uh, join the discussion there. I also have a lot of questions from that subreddit and the uh, discussion thread that we have there. Uh, There are some questions from listeners there that we'll get to in part two as well. So thank you for sending those in, and we will do that again, of course, for book eight. Uh, Let's see, am I forgetting anything today? Uh, Thank you, everybody, for listening, and sorry about the wait. I just finished up my move and some vacation time and everything, and so I'm, I'm glad that we're back. And I'm excited to get this studio, like, really up and running in a in a fun way right now it's kind of just cobbled together but it's gonna be awesome it'll be crazy <laughs> pretty soon street craig crazy street yes, crazy right. that was crazy okay thanks everybody for listening we'll see you on reddit and we'll see you on the next episode bye <laughs>